0: Welcome to the Leadership Under the Microscope interview series, Plain Talk, by Pragmatic Leaders, a production of JR Global. Today, we continue our series of interviews with innovative leaders from around the world. Here is your host, JR Klein. Ulam Juma is the Director of External Affairs Africa at the Aga Khan Academy. This is a network of global schools being established in 14 countries across Africa, South and Central Asia, and the Middle East. The academies develop students from all backgrounds into home-grown ethical leaders. Gulam currently leads the resource development and mobilization activities for the Africa region. Prior to joining Aga Khan Development in 1986, Gulam spent his professional career in Canada, including a time as assistant treasurer, a corporate officer role with Nestle Corporation of Canada. He's also served on the board of Crohn's and Colitis Canada, Fair Trade International, the Management Operations Committee for Focus Tajikistan, and for a mentor for the Futurepreneurship Canada Mentor and Mentor-to-Be program. Gulam has traveled to over 83 countries and lived in seven of them, spanning three continents. He offers a rich, global, perspective, different Guest today, Gulam Juma.
1: Thank you very much, Jared. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: My audience, I think, would be interested in sort of hearing what your story is. Uh, How did you get to where you are today? And then sort of lead us into what some of your passions are.
1: Thank you. uh, I was born in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, many many years ago, and I did my first part of schooling there. And then my family sent me to Ecole Nationale de Genève in Geneva, which was a very uh, prestigious school. It had a lot of people that a lot of students that came from different parts of the world, and in particular, <clears throat> they came they came from well-known families. So, you know, the school had Indira Gandhi at her time that came to the school. Uh, We had Schwarzkopf, the the person that was involved in the US. We had a lot of foreign ministers. We had the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, crown prince of Thailand. And that school gave me an opportunity to really become, uh, become a global citizen, you know, understanding from a global community how to live with one another. I really enjoyed it because I got to stay in the boarding, boarding sector and the way they had it organized in those days, JR, was that every three months we would change roommates. So I would be rooming with a Turkish fellow, then I had an American, then I had someone from Israel, then I had someone from Saudi Arabia, and China, People's Republic of China, Thailand, and that gave me such a wonderful opportunity to understand the different cultures, the different uh, nuances that you had to work with. Um, they had to understand me. When, when you look at it from, uh, from, uh, from my perspective, I had my prayers, which I did, they respected, and, and they, I learned about them. And from that, it created me, it gave me such an important element and foundation in my life. And from there, I then did other studies and my passion from those days listening to my teacher was, I always wanted to work for His Highness the Khan. I am a member of the community and I always admired and looked up to him as an inspiration. And from, from that, I worked my way to to work in this organization. So I started out working at Nestle's in Canada because of my Swiss background. And I, did, I then went and did hotel training in Blackpool and then did my CPA in Canada. And as a result of doing the CPA, I got a, a fantastic opportunity with Nestle's. And I started off, uh, as an accounting senior and worked my way up to assistant treasurer. I worked with them 10 years and that too gave me an opportunity of working with different nationalities. And then I was given an opportunity to join the Aga Khan Development Network. And my first posting was in Ivory Coast, in Cote d'Ivoire, where because of my French background, I got in there. And my job was to bring change to the organization, to bring modernization to the, to the organization. So I was recruited as a financial director, and then within a year or two, I became um, director exportations like COO. And my job at that time was to bring change, bring you know, modern technology efficiencies to work. And work with individuals as to how you can work together. And at that time, when you, if you real, if you remember Jr., there was so much issues going on about bringing external people into Africa, uh, you know, taking away jobs and stuff. So you had to be very sensitive as to how you work. And as I was doing this, my job was to create efficiencies. So I was working in a jute mill, creating jute bags which were then going into the cocoa production of the country. And so you need to make sure your costs are well, well aligned. We were the only jute manufacturer in West Africa. Everything used to come from Bangladesh and the president of the country wanted to create employment and also to, to enhance opportunities so that we don't have to use foreign exchange to bring in stuff. Um, so in one of the functions that I did I had to streamline we had in the beginning when I started they had eight nine hundred people working and based on efficiencies and what we were able to bring in we reduced that workforce by 400 and the way it was done you can imagine it created a huge uproar when you had to do all this but one of the things that I was able to work with the team in working with the unions was to look at each individual that we were going to, to lay off or, uh, or make redundant, was to say to them, you know, those that came in the early years, the productivity was low and the, your health costs were high. So if you were to get to streamline, it would bring the cost tremendously down. So one of the things I was able to negotiate with the union was to say to the union, that, hi, how many children do you have in each family? We will be happy to recruit one child of yours and put them in another similar industry, like polypopulin or whatever, because we're always building. And we'll give them an employment so that you're not left without any money coming in. Number two, we will provide you with medical coverage till the day you die and when we talked about this sort of uh, re- redundancy it lit us it lit a big smile on their face oh my one kid is going to get a job and i was able to get 400 people laid off in the span of a month and and that took the whole thing to another level and we we started to make a lot of profits and the profit with his highness, uh, the Aga Khan believes in plowing back the profits. That's what the Aga Khan Development Network is to put in the profits back so that we can develop the organizations, build the organizations. So when we started making the profits, the first thing he said was, you know, first year was okay, second year. I think in the third year, he met with the board and he said, look, we have to cut the selling price because, the, you know, I don't, I think you are now bordering greed and you have to bring that level down and then you have to spend money for the social welfare of the individuals. So we cut the selling price by 25%. And JR, based on what we learned at Harvard there, you know, when they cut the price, we all started to get jittery that we're gonna get back to the same position. But what happened, the sales took off like you wouldn't believe. They went up like 40% and you had to turn on another extra shift to get the work done and the production up. So you had another 80 people you had to recruit and now you're working on marginal costs. So you can imagine what happens in your profitability. It stays constant, even though you cut your selling price down. And that company became quite profitable. We, had, we then got partners from the IFC, the International Finance Corporation. They partnered with us And then subsequently we took the company public so that the Ivorians themselves benefited from this company. And that was the start of what you see the empire, I call it an empire because it's a huge organization which over 200 million in revenue at the present time in Cote d'Ivoire and West Africa. And that really created this. And for me, that was a learning curve, right? You saw what social good could do. And after that, uh, I was recruited to work at the humanitarian sector with the Afghan Development Network. That's when I met you. And my job at that time was to create and develop stability and sustainability and focus humanitarian assistance, which was a disaster response. We looked after refugees from Afghanistan, Tajikistan, and also response to earthquakes and other natural disasters. So... That's how I got into this field, and post that I did 14 years of that, and then I was uh, recruited to come to the Alakan Academy. And when I look at it, it's a natural round progression. You're going from, uh, you know, livelihoods in terms of industry, and then you get into uh, disasters. <laughs> how do you cope and resiliency? And then now I'm getting into the other factor of when you want to improve the quality of life, education is the most important. And so I'm back and getting into this now. I'm seeing the first stage of it where you you train youngsters to become ethically talented leaders and for them to do good. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, this part, the last experience that I'm doing is the most satisfying that one can get because you're seeing. raw talent come in, you're training them, you're giving them the tools to really become smart stewards of the communities and the issues around the world. And so I am now here, and one of my functions is to develop a sustainable program, as I was mentioning to you earlier. Um, The program is to be able to attract talent from the rural areas. And give them access, except to give exceptional students access to exceptional international baccalaureate education, which we then enable them to go to the top 100 Shanghai universities in the world. And because of the network, because of what we are doing, we get substantial scholarships from wonderful universities in the US, in Canada, in Europe, that we are able to help these kids go there. Um, I'm happy to say, out of the 557 alumni we have since the program's the school started in 2003, and the graduates obviously came five years later. When you know you have that, right now we're we're averaging about 39, 40 percent of them are already back in Africa working, which I think you will agree is is a good percentage to come in, and they're doing quite a lot of good work. And some of them are doing masters and PhDs as well. So that's what I'm doing now. And I hope that gives you a little glimpse
0: of what I've been trying to do in my life. This is very interesting, Gulam. It's a great example of this concept of inclusive capitalism, uh, yes. where you think about the impact on your market at the very beginning and not having to deal with the damage that your product does in the market and spend your money there. This is really talking a lot about giving back also it's emblematic of this whole idea of social consciousness and social impact. I'd like to think that um, it's always going to be easy to do those kinds of things but I'm, I'm sure you you have some challenges uh, now and again. And let's hear from you a little bit what some of those challenges are. What are your biggest barriers to getting to your mission?
1: Well, the challenges when you're doing such a program, one is to to promote the school. You know, when you're doing so much, you're so involved in what you're doing. That when I say we're so involved, the school is so involved in concentrating what it's doing. So getting the message out of what you've done and being one of the best IB schools, getting top results, uh, getting 100% scores for three kids out of the 170 kids that graduated over the last few years. Uh, And then going out and talking to like-minded individuals, corporates, about the importance of this program. Because when you look at it, the beneficiaries of what comes out of here and the universities will benefit the corporates, the governments, the civil society and all. So the challenges you have is is trying to get people to understand that the investment they do now, they will not get the impact next week or the week after. It's not like a Nescafe solution, right? It takes a little while. And then when you do get that return, it'll be massive. But it's been very tough selling this. Now, what we've been doing with corporates, you know, small, medium enterprises, is talking to them and seeing whether we can use their Corporate Social Responsibility Program, the CSRs. However, what I've begun to realize, and I've listened to uh, Ann Woods from BCG and all, CSRs are quite uh, vulnerable to the economic climate. When business is good, people will give you 2%, 5% from the CSRs. When business is poor, they will take it right back and cut it. They don't realize that the importance of consumers to help consumers understand the social good, they forget all about that, right? And they forget it. Now, when I listen to BCG, I like their TSI initiative, which is Total Societal Impact. That means you look at the whole business chain, and how do you impact that chain so that it continues to do help, to do good. And I think when I was looking at it, Mars, uh, from um, the, the agriculture ones, where they buy cocoa and all, they've gone right to the farmers, right and said, "How do we do that? How do you improve their health? How do you improve their education? How do you improve their infrastructure, the tools? And that then builds a society. When you're wanting to improve quality of life, two things, health and education. And Mars has realized that. And I was the chairman for Fair Trade International for a couple of years, a few years back. And that was part of their mandate to improve the quality of life so that there's a fair deal for the farmers that, that are manipulated at times. And when you see what Mars has done, and you, you start to talk about it and you start to look at it. Chair, that's what we need to do. We need to impress on organizations, on corporates, that look, you've got to look at it from the supply chain, from the procurement, from the manufacturing, and, and have education as a component of that. Because if we improve the quality of education, your, your employees, children, family all improve. The quality of life improves, the health improves, the costs go down, and you then pass the profit, you get profits coming out of that. And you can go up and down in the economic cycle and, and even geopolitical situations which create havoc. Uh, and and you, can, you can do this well. So for me, my biggest challenge is trying to ride the wave <laughs> that you don't go up and down in the economic cycle. And the other thing is to make people understand that what we're trying to do in getting common good, creating this society, is, is something that we all desperately need when you look at it. And part of the other things that the Khan Academy does, which I've not talked about, is in addition to looking at talent and, and, and training these talent, giving them exceptional education, we have a professional development thing. And that wing, what it does, it trains teachers to be the best, okay? Raise the standard of education, right? Elevate the status of the teaching profession. As you and I know, the teaching profession does not get the accolades it deserves. You know, It's, it's very easy to pinpoint failures and stuff with them. So how do you improve them? And we have developed a program professional learning educational series, which we train the teachers in the area to, to become better teachers, to be, become better educators. And what we do is we do baseline studies before we go in, and then we train them over 30, 35 week period. And then you go back, you mentor them, and you can see the, the standard of education improving by the results that the kids are getting, right? And when we work with corporates in these areas, many of the corporates work in, in natural resources and mining and others. And one of their CSR responsibilities is educa- you know, looking at the schools in the area, the health facilities. And we have partnered with a couple of them to say, look, we can come in and look at your schools and help elevate that. And by elevating it, and then saying, hey, why don't you join our program for talent identification, where they, they participate and invest in our program. We go and do assessments for children there in that school. And can you imagine, JR, when you go to that school where you have trained and you pick up one child to come to this school to get exceptional education, and they see this kid going all the way to Stanford or wherever, Can you can you just put yourself in that teacher's shoe? I went and did that training and now look at my kid, you know, he's going, he's going places, right? So I'm hoping that works well. Now that is TSI when you look at it, you know, I know they call it CSR, but it isn't because they're doing each end of the the site, they're going right into the beginning. The minors' kids go to that school. Their workers go to that, that school. So you're looking at it. From a whole impact basis, and I think the biggest challenge is getting people to stay firm on on, on social responsible programs.
0: That is a commendable challenge. Can be a big one because what you're doing is working toward a result, a product that you may never see, and yet uh, you you work toward it with the hope. Uh, with the with the, the a firm confirmation that uh, that it's it's going to do what what it's intended to do, it's very good. Uh, and that is a sign of a good leader with uh, with a vision. The vision is something that is sometimes hard to understand by those who don't have it. Uh, so you have to yes. do a lot of teaching. So here you are. You've sort of become the specialist in sustainability. Yeah, yeah, all the way through your life, it's kind of uh, kind of followed after you. Uh, let's uh, think for a minute uh, about some of the leadership lessons that that you've learned. Just talk to us about the challenges that that you're facing now. I, I'm relatively sure that it's not the first challenges that you've faced in your career, and uh, they've taught you things. They they teach you lessons. What are what are some of the lessons that you've learned? on your leadership journey uh, so far?
1: From a lessons learned perspective, when I'm thinking about how you're you're, you're, you're meeting with these these different organizations and individuals, I think the first thing, it's always beneficial and important, try and bring the individual to institute in the campus, to meet with the students, to talk to the kids that are benefiting this program and not to set it up on a, you know, say, okay, you're gonna have these kids there, but at random, you know, they sit at lunchtime, sit with a different tape. you know, we have a lunch facility where the kids who are they're mostly all in residence here, the ones in the program, and they can sit with them, talk to them, and they begin to understand at that point what this program is about and the impact. And, and so the lessons, first lesson that I learned is once you you start to talk about the program, like I mentioned to you, visit the place and then you know what it's all about. The second thing is to to also enable when you're talking any different things and different uh, programs is to provide them with examples or people that have graduated a few years ago. Where are they today? What have they done? Right? And, and I have with me whom you met one of them, uh, Khadija, who was with me, here. she graduated in 12 and she's now working with me to help me help me get other folks to give back so that, you know, she wants to make sure that individuals benefit what she did. Right? And then my other person that also works with me, Tabitha, she's been here 12 years. And she has progressed from different functions to different levels. And she's got a CPA. She was a Mandela Institute uh, scholar. So she was in uh, San Diego under the Obama initiative. And, and so she, So these are opportunities, JR, that, that we can facilitate. For me, I, I look at, you know, how do we as role models provide this example, right? And and I've learned that it takes time, you have to be patient, and and you have to be able to make people understand, you know, that, that the differences that this program brings. And and it's I agree with you, it's so difficult because they have not had the opportunity to to, to do what these kids are doing, right? And and that's tough. And and for me. That's, that's one other thing. The other area is, um, what I've also learned to understand the geopolitical situation. You know, when you're going in, and, and you may smile when I say this, when you get into election, election period, right? It becomes quite unstable because there's lots of things going on and people are concerned about their, their future, and it creates real pandemonium and you and you can see businesses dry up especially if the results don't come out the way they're supposed to come out it's just havoc all right and, and 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 that's a tough one to manage in in a in a developing environment if I may say.
0: Those are valuable lessons. I especially like your focus on if you can see it, it's easier to believe. And that is not just seeing the campus of an academy, but seeing the difference on people's lives. And you can only do that by being an example. Someone is always watching. In that vein, I'm interested to hear your thinking on what your approach to leading is. Talk to me a little bit about your style, your approach to leadership.
1: My approach is pretty straightforward. I I don't expect anyone to do anything that I I cannot do, right? So I will roll up my sleeve, understand what, what to do, and then work with them and help them I am a nurturer. I, I like to build capacity. I like to, to, to help people enhance their careers. So I am very inclusive in what I do. And sometimes it may be to my detriment because to be inclusive means you have to be transparent and you have to share your problems and you have to share your successes, right? And when success is there, I, I, for me, it's the, it's the team that has excelled. It's not an individual that excelled. And the other thing, if I may say so, I, I also believe that you know, there's something higher than what we are here that gives you this success. And you have to recognize that, that you know, success is not all due to you. you know, it's the, there's a higher being in place or whatever you like to call it. Uh, you have to have faith and it's that faith that brings you to where you are and what you're doing because remember we're all here as vicegerents on this earth we're, our job is to do good and to look after what the almighty has led, brought here, and to in, to improve the place so that when we go it's a better place than when we came for right we have so many limited amount of time and how do you do that how do you how do you touch points different ways, right? How do you create that individual? And for me, I look at it, I work with people. Um, I'm, I'm very open and, and, and I like to see people do good. But when there are problems, I also approach it head on. And, and you know, I, I, I think I'm, it, it bothers me when, when someone is not truthful, right, and ethical. And honest about things right and and it, it gets to you when that happens because you you know when you're working with an individual you're open about it you're, you're putting all your your energy to help them come up and so I've worked that way all my life and when I look today and I see you know some of my protégés that are you know who my mentor are CEOs of the Aga Khan Agency of Habitat in Central Asia. Some others are working in different organizations. I find that quite stimulating and and satisfying. And there are others in other different organizations that have really developed. These are people that have stuck with you for five, six years, and now they've, they've, they've got their wings and they're flying. And for me, that is important i like to give them freedom to do what what they can do but then i like to keep it managed so that's my style it's very open transparent honest um and i call a spade a spade i mean if something is not done right you 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 you, you highlight that and the other thing is that i roll up my sleeve and i don't expect people to do things that i don't understand i have never done and, um, and and they you know they are part of what I do. So when I meet with the potential partners and those that we want to invest, I want them to be with me, you know, my my colleagues to be with me because JR, today we are here doing it. Tomorrow they have to take the lead, they have to go out and do exactly what we're doing today. And if they're not part of the system you're really leaving your organizational vulnerable because this is not a small program, okay? And for us, when you look at it, you know, you can bring a child into the school on a scholarship, right, or a financial aid. But if you don't sustain it, what do you do next year, the year after? You can't send that kid back. So for me, it's important that I have continuity. And the continuity is your... Your colleagues, right, they have to pick up the the the, the mantle to take forward, so that 's my style, and I try to stay stay with it
0: that 's almost a um, beginning for a whole new book <laughs> You know really the idea of getting your hands dirty, being open and inclusive, uh, really facing problems that you have so that you can find those solutions and and having some integrity—that's uh, that's a lesson I think that um, everybody can use, whether they find themselves in a, a role of a leader or or not. So as we as we come toward the uh, end of our time together, talk to me a little bit about what some of your realities are today. What sort of remains to be done inside your your world? What has to happen to you get to to get to the place where you want to be?
1: Well, we are now embarking on, on a good a good sort of level. We have built the back office structures, which is important because when you're starting to work with uh, funding coming in from outside, integrity of the usage of funds is important, uh, reporting, transparency, et cetera. We've got now all that put in place and I've been, been working hard with head office to get all the recognition policies, and other policies that go in terms of enhancing what we're doing. And also bringing in latest technology, JR. You know, donate now button on your website, uh, integrity of that website, et cetera. So we're now getting there. And now my next phase is working with the different partners that we have identified to enhance the program, so that it becomes sustainable. Working with the alumni, Um, As I mentioned to you, um, we've had 557 or 560 alumni, but within the network, we just graduated the thousand alumni this year, okay? So now we have more than 1,000 in our our database. Um, So we've been working with them, starting to work with them, because you want to get them into the culture of giving and into the culture of the organization. One of our alumni is a 2012 alumni called Ham Sarangoji from Uganda. He graduated from a university in, uh, in the States, worked with Facebook, with Sheryl Sandberg for a while. And then he started a company, a mobile money company, similar to M-Pesa, which you have heard about, a very famous one. And he then, started to look for funding from Silicon Valley. And about four weeks ago, Joe Montana, the NFL uh, footballer, gave him uh, two and a half million seed money as the first round of funding. Um, Ham called me right away to say, hey, Gulen, you've been talking to me. Guess what? This is what I've done. And the first thing that I want to acknowledge is what I learned at the Aga Khan Academy. This is where it's got me today, and I would like to make a donation so that others can follow in my footsteps. And he gave a sizable donation, okay? And he said, I want to do that. I will send you his video of him and his colleague, another graduate. They combine and they they mention what they've done. To me, that is the proof of the pudding, right? You're working hard and you have these two kids have started their own startup. Forget working in an organization. A startup that is competing with Mpesa right in East Africa, and 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 it's amazing the way he portrays. He wants to give back so others can follow that. Okay, so I, that's one thing that's remaining to get the alumni is going, and then obviously the other ones are the other stakeholders: the parents and the past parents, the past alumni. You know past student parents. So I want to get these things put together so that there is a continuity that we can continue to do this. And for me, it's important that on the network side, we try and leave a legacy so that His Highness and the organization can continue to build from that. We still have to build another 14, 18 academies around the world. The next one that's opening is in Dhaka, Bangladesh, and that's about a year and a half away. And then we're also working on the Lisbon, Portugal, academy. So you know, there's not a few academies. There's quite a few left. So for us, uh, it's important to start to build the sustainable funding that can come in. And the and the other thing that looking at is an endowment. How do you develop this endowment? That you can have this thing going on you know for a while, similar to what you see with Philip Andover and all the others in the states. And I think we are at that category. you know we are what we're doing here is that type of individuals that are coming up. And inshallah, you know, maybe I, I hope it's in my lifetime, but I don't think so. We may see a president of a country in Africa that has come as a graduate of the school, similar as you see with Andover and all they have. You know someone and so was a pre- is a president or was a president of the united states or and yale and all I think we will see that because when you look at some of the kids that have graduated there is potential and inshallah we 'll see that and that will be we 'll say these guys did it at that time
0: that is just an amazing frame uh, so to put you in, and that is. That you're changing the world but like uh, a lot of us we we don't have this initiative that uh, is huge and everybody sees but you're changing the world just sort of one person at a time and I have a tendency to believe that's the way it gets done yeah it's that we have a tendency to uh, live forever but the way we do that is by getting our values into another generation. Ghulam, I would like to uh, thank you so much for spending your time with me and being inclusive and open to tell us about your thoughts, uh, your, your passions, uh, your feelings. Uh, do you have anything that you'd like to say at the very end of this to, uh, to those that are listening or these new, this new world of emerging leaders?
1: What I'd like to say is you gotta live your passion you got to really, you know, make an effort to, to try and make a difference because, you know, we're only here for a limited time and what the, the good that we do will outlive us longer. And I think if it isn't for us to, to lay the foundation and to, to create the pathway for this, it won't get done. And I think we need a better world and we need a world where there is compassion, there's care and and we need to embrace pluralism i mean most of the issues we see around the world is because there's a lack of understanding of what each each one is about and i think this big notion of cosmopolitan ethics plays a huge role and finally the realization that we all come from one soul you know we emanate from one soul and and, you know you can be different in you but you all come from that one soul so we all have an important thing to work together and make, make this place better. And lastly, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity. I really enjoyed it.
0: As we have enjoyed having you here, we wish you uh, the best of luck. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again sometime about all of the presidents and national leaders that have come out of Aga Khan uh, Academy. I look
1: forward to
0: that, yeah. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, God bless. Thanks for listening to Plain Talk by Pragmatic Leaders. J.R. Klein is an Oxford-published author, speaker, and global business consultant. JR Global specializes in socially responsible business consulting. To learn more, visit jrglobal.co.